had I known what we were getting into, both quitting like a stable job and starting freelance together at the same time. I mean, it was nuts. I think people thought, oh, they'll look back and realize that they've made a terrible mistake. And we never, ever thought that. (laughs) Welcome back to the Clubhouse. I'm Arielle Hudes. Clubhouse is a podcast where women tell the stories of how they built their awesome lives. Lives that include careers and places and life choices that aren't often featured in the big, splashy profiles we see on newsstands. They're people like Megan, from the third episode, who got married and had kids when she was young, and spent years waiting tables and figuring out what she really wanted to do, and now has this joyous life as a public school teacher in New Hampshire. And of Faina from the last episode, who founded an arts organization in Detroit that she's building and growing, but also trying to keep at a manageable size so that she can maintain her own art practice and be a great mom. And today, Kate Sutton Johnson shares her story. Kate is a designer in Minneapolis. She creates theater sets and museum exhibitions, and chances are if you've been to a super cool interactive show at a museum, Kate might have been behind it. I really recommend jumping on her website while you listen or after. It's ksjdesignstudio.com, and you can see the incredible worlds she builds. She's been obsessed with how physical sets help tell stories since she was just a kid. She grew up in Virginia, and both of her parents were school teachers, and the example they set of regular hours and summers off, predictability, it was all a far cry from what Kate ended up choosing for herself. It, for sure, I, I came from... Uh, a world of absolute safety and I absolutely had the privilege to feel like I could take a risk and kind of jump off a cliff and I would be caught somehow you know I definitely think like after I kind of you know went to college and started this career I remember having this conversation with my mom and it was kind of hilarious because she was like you know I was secretly hoping you would become an artist but I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to sway you yeah and I thought what made her want, want you to be that I think that she had actually done some painting and had been interested in art. Um, and I think she just like thought it was romantic. And I think she didn't have at all the, the aspiration for me to go into like a high paying field. And I mean, to me, that is actually like one of the things that's really lovely about both of my parents is like, you know, I mean, teachers don't make a huge amount of money. And so there was just like a humbleness to the way that we operated. And, you know, they didn't have five kids. They had one kid. And we, we got by and we, you know, we had a really good life. And so I think I just thought, well, that I can totally, I can totally do that. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to go get a law degree or become a doctor. I don't have to pr- pursue like a STEM profession. You know, I'm, I, I want to, you know, these are the things I enjoy and I want to do something that is actually fun for my career. I'd been doing in high school, I'd been really involved with the visual arts program and that and the high school I went to had an amazing visual arts teacher that was a huge mentor for me. And then I'd gotten involved in theater, but I had gotten involved in theater because I was a good singer. And so I started like performing in musicals and did a bunch of plays. And so I was on stage. And as I as I got closer to graduation, I was kind of like, how do I how do I like leave this environment where I've been able to be experimental and try all these things out. How do I take all the things I like the most and actually keep doing them? And I think it just occurred to me that I could probably like have my cake and eat it too. Like there's probably a way I can do, I can be in the theater world, but I can be a visual artist. Like I can, I can paint sets or, you know, I think, I think I just knew that, you know, I, I'd been to lots of theater with my parents as a kid. They often volunteered as ushers at theaters. And so when I got old enough, I would just tag along 
And, and so I was kind of in that world a little, a little bit and felt really drawn to it. And so I knew that there was like a world where people built, you know, environments for actors. I just thought, you know, I could go to a liberal arts school that has like a quote reputable theater program, or I could go to like one of the top art schools that produces theater artists in the country. And like, if I'm going to do the arts thing, like I should actually do it. Um, whole hog rather than being like, let me go to a liberal arts school and play it safe. And that way I can fall back on like my minor in English or something. I just was like, I'm just going to do it. And really thinking through all of that when you were just 17, like knowing exactly what you're getting into and choosing to not get into. Yeah. But also like I did make some interesting missteps when I got to school of the arts, I actually kind of chickened out of signing up for set design because it was described to me that set designers had to do a lot of things similar to architects, like that I would have to draft mm-hmm. um, and have a lot of technical skills. And I thought, I don't know anything about that at all. I have no, I, that feels so intimidating. And the other alternate um, major I could pick was painting, scene, scene painting and props. And I was like, well, I know I love painting, so I'll do that because that seems like a good fit. Um, and so I got into the program and then quickly realized that actually I needed to be in set design because um, that's like an ideas position. I had to reapply to the school. And so oh that was a God. little nerve wracking. Yeah. I after actually, how long? My, like a semester? After my freshman year. No, after wow, my after freshman year. year. Okay. Yeah. Oh so I sort God. of knew the whole year I was going to try to do that and was just hoping like, I hope they accept me as a set design major. Um, and then they did and it was fine. So graduating from college is a really scary and stressful time because you have to get your first full-time job. And I remember how murky that whole process felt to me, and I was pretty open to doing a lot of different things. So I imagine for Kate, who's going into this tiny field, how much more difficult it would be. But she had this laser focus through the whole process, and that helped her land on her feet right away. Most of the people that go to North Carolina School of the Arts go to New York, and... I don't know. I think for whatever reason, I just thought I'm going to do something different. That doesn't seem like the right fit. I think my impression of, of that path was that you would go to New York and, and sort of the best gig for somebody with my skills coming out of school would be to hook up with, um, somebody doing sort of, you know, top regional theater or sort of, um, off Broadway or Broadway caliber set design and work work in their studio as an assistant right you know at some point they would get too busy and say well I can't do the project but my assistant Kate right you you know would be great and so you're sort of waiting to get sort of the breadcrumbs of the person that you've been assisting I think I just thought I just even if I you know have terrible budgets or or even if I'm just not a very good designer right away even if I have a lot of you know mistakes to make I kind of want to just do that and at least be the person that is conceptualizing the work and, um, and then this Guthrie job fell in my lap. And so I thought, well, that's a pretty damn good job for somebody right out of school. And it's in a big theater town in the Midwest, which is kind of what I was thinking of doing anyway. Yeah. Like was so, Minneapolis itself exciting to you specifically? Y- yes. Yes, it was in the sense that like, I definitely felt, um, some intrigue about, about the twin cities and about Minneapolis specifically. Um, but I, but I, to be honest, like there was so much I didn't know. I mean, I hadn't researched the city. I didn't know any, I didn't know anyone. I think there is something that's interesting about having the chance to start again and reinvent yourself. Like you don't get that many chances to do that in your life where you're going to 
relocate and not know anyone or go work, you know, go work up at a summer theater where you're the only one from your school or something that goes there. And it's exciting to, to think, Hey, I'm going to make a first impression. I can start afresh and whoever I am at this summer gig or whoever I am when I move to the Midwest is, um, it, you know, it can be, you know, it'll be me, but you know, also sort of be a chance to kind of, um, I don't know, tweak, tweak who I am or, or yeah. say goodbye, say goodbye to something about myself that I want to be done with, or I don't know. So did um, you, did you do that when you moved to Minneapolis? Do you, like, can you remember something that you consciously tried to start fresh there or change even? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think while I was in school, I was, I was so into being a student and I don't know if I was just a super school nerd because my parents were teachers or if that was just how I was going to be anyway, but I just, I love learning stuff. And so I was like, the whole time I was an undergrad, I was so immersed in being a student and getting everything out of it that I possibly could. And I think when I think back about like where I was at in my life when I got out of school and I think I was finally realizing like, um, I need, there's, there's other things in my life that I need to focus on. I think it, I was, I was what I, what I would call like a late bloomer. Like I had dated a few guys in college, but not a ton. Cause I think I just thought I would start dating somebody and be like, this is lame. I don't have time for this. I want to work on my projects. Um, and so I think when I finally moved, I was like actually ready to have a relationship with somebody. Okay. And, and, and then I met Grant very shortly after yeah, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Kate was hired by the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis to be the associate props manager. And I'm guessing a lot of us young women can identify with the reaction she got from some of her colleagues when she stepped into that pretty high-level position as a really young person. I remember my first day out on stage during that load-in, there was a, a guy who works in the scene shop who's been there many, many years. And he's a jovial, lovely person, like always quick to, you know laugh and smile and, you know, just a really warm person. But in front of like everyone on stage, everyone that's from the props department, everyone from like this, all the stage hands, all the, sh all the scene shop people, he was like, Hey, I'm Mike. Are you the new intern? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm the new manager. And, and everyone laughed. Um, and I was glad that it happened because I, you know, somebody needed to sort of like cut through the, <laughs> the, the weirdness of the fact that I was like, you know, I was managing people that were old enough to be my father. Wow. God. Yeah. So were you, I mean, it sounds like you have such a brave and adventurous spirit, but was there a part of you that was nervous about either the, that role, managing people or being in a new city or both? You know, I think if I had known in advance, like what I was actually getting into going for, directly from like an academia kind of world into a world like the Guthrie, which is the largest regional theater in the United States with a unionized crew. Um, I think if I had actually known what that meant, I would have been terrified and rightly so, because it was a really hard experience. Um, I, I really, it was very um, sobering to, to realize like, oh, I'm in the business of theater now. I actually, I used to like prop manage at this little theater in Vermont where I was like driving all around the hills of Vermont, like buying props and then coming back and like crafting things and you know, sewing cushions on stage and all these things. And all of a sudden I was managing a crew of union employees that were pretty unhappy and miserable in their jobs. And I wasn't allowed to touch anything. Mm. Um, and I think I had this romantic idea too of like, oh, it'll be great to work at a theater like the Guthrie because I'll have 
a little taste of what that New York thing might have been, which is that there's so many Broadway caliber designers that work at the Guthrie and I will have these relationships with them because they will be coming out to the Midwest as guest designers. And, you know, I'll, I'll be in there, you know, I'll be basically crossing paths with them and, and, and getting to hear a little bit, bit about their lives. And, you know, I just thought I would kind of have a little bit of that, um, that kind of experience by being there. And the reality is, is like all those designers are so busy that they're barely there when they are there, they're on their computers designing the next show. They don't want to sit and chat and mentor anyone. Um, so there were so many things about it that I thought would be, you know, as dreamy as what I feel like, you know, studying theater at a school like North Carolina school of the arts was. And the reality is, is, you know, I just suddenly had the bandaid ripped off and realized like, Oh, this is, this is an industry that I'm in. Right. I'm really grateful for all of that because it set me up to understand so much about navigating all of that from a very early stage in my yeah. career, but it was a hard experience. Yeah. And as you're re- realizing all that, was there part of you that wanted to get out? Like, did you ever consider doing something different or going somewhere else? I mean, I definitely realized pretty early on that I did not want to be a manager. I did not enjoy managing people or managing budgets and spreadsheets and timelines. I mean, I just, I, 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 none of that was fulfilling to me. Um, and I don't know that I knew precisely like exactly what I wanted to do, but I, I just think I generally sense like I need to get into more of a creative field. Um, and I, I need to get out of managing staff. And, um, and so you made that happen. You left to to freelance. That's right. Which was yeah. another big, brave move. I, I also left a job, a great job, to freelance. And it was one of the best things I ever did. But people's impressions of that move were, like, just shockingly conservative, I would say. People were really like, what are you thinking? You have a great job. Oh. Don't leave it. That's exactly what people thought. I think people thought, you, got, you scored this gig at the Guthrie. Why in the world would you give up this position that you have? And... And I was doing it at the same time as Grant. He left at the same time that okay. I did. And I think people thought we were crazy, especially that we both did it at once. And again, like, <laughs> had I known what we were getting into, both quitting, like, a stable job and starting freelance together at the same time, I mean, it was nuts. It was nuts. I mean, nuts we like probably that. should not have done that. But that's what we did. <laughs> and we got through it. Um, but, yeah, people thought we were, we were I think, pretty um, – I think people thought, oh, they'll look back and realize that they've made a terrible mistake. And we never, ever thought that. Yeah. And yeah. Not, but neither of you was at any point was like, you know what, I'm going to go back to the to the Guthrie or to a full time thing. No, no, we never we never thought that. But I, I definitely think there were, you know, there were days where I think we thought, what are we doing? This is so difficult. Um, Do you remember it, you know, when you like turned a corner where like you stopped having those days as often? Yeah, I do. I I remember, I feel like it was a few years in where I finally realized that when I had a little bit of a a lull or I got a little bit slow, I realized that I finally trusted that that was just a part of the process Mm -hmm. and that, and that I trusted that things would get busy again and that I needed to take a deep breath when I could, because if I didn't, I would never, you know, I was often just working seven days a week, seven days a week, seven days a week. And then there'd be a part of the year where it would get a little slow. And initially I would kind of panic. And then as time went by, I realized like, Oh, this is a time of year where I just, I really need to like embrace the fact that, um, it's okay to not have a full plate of work right now. I need to just take a deep breath and things will pick up again. And, and if they don't, I'll get a part-time job or what I'll make something happen. Um, 
and it always and worked out when it was like the seven day a week rhythm for both of you, for you and your partner, like what kept you going? What made you still excited about it? Oh man. I don't know. It, the whole thing feels like kind of a blur. I mean, I don't know. We just, I think we just didn't want to fail. And I guess I just, I guess we just thought we'll just, we'll give it hell until we realize that it's just financially not viable. And then we had some breakthroughs. We had some things happen that were really, um, yeah, really breakthrough moments that kind of, um, turn things around. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We got through it. I mean, you know, they say like a small business, if it lasts two years, then, right. <laughs> then it might be okay. And now, you know, he's had his business for 15 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, and even like pre breakthrough was, was part of what was keeping you going that you really were enjoying the work you were doing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, absolutely. I think, I think once I, once I started freelancing as a designer, I was able to better gauge how much I was evolving as a designer, how I could see that the work I was doing was becoming, um, you know, the design work was more interesting. I was work, I was meeting and working with directors that, um, where I was, you know, forming a relationship with them where it it became clear, like, Oh, we are going to be colleagues and this is going to happen again. Like this Mm. isn't just one show. Um, we now have a, a working relationship and a shorthand and, and we'll be in each other's lives or each other's orbit moving forward. And, and that was, you know, for sure a way of kind of really, um, digging into that as a career is realizing that the theater and the museum world really, but especially theater, it's such a, it's all about your relationships with people. And, and I, it was so satisfying to, to start forming some of those relationships as a, as a design person. I mean, you're building relationships as a young woman, like really young at this point, like mid twenties max and in a field that's totally dominated by men. And you're talking about, did that feel like, like, was that gender imbalance, something you were aware of? And like, do you feel like it was a hurdle in building this freelance career? it's kind of embarrassing to look back and think like, I didn't really understand at all, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I really thought, um, well, there were a couple of things I was aware of. I think I thought I, I know consciously that I'm not going to like play like a manipulation card as a woman to get what I want. So I'm not going to interact with male colleagues in a way that, you know, sort of, I'm, I'm not going to use flirtation or my sexuality or my sensuality. I'm not going to like, I'm totally turning all that spigot is completely off and I'm not using that as like a weapon or a way to get what I want. Um, and so I think that I thought by making that choice, I was just being a total professional and that that would sort of like buffer me from, from any of any of that stuff. But the reality was that what that triggered in a lot of my male colleagues was this like incredible resentment and impatience Mm -hmm. and disgust and anger. I mean, so I think because I wasn't playing into like, Hey, I'm going to flirt with you and make you feel like, you know, the ball is totally in your court. But meanwhile, I'll be getting exactly what I want out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Instead, I didn't play the game. And so I got a lot of aggression coming at me. And it wasn't until later that I realized what that was. Through the lens of the discourse that we're having now, like, would you do anything differently in hindsight? I certainly in those situations with men where I would have conflict. I mean, I put a lot of blame on myself in those situations. That was, you know, in hindsight, I think, of course, there were things I was doing that were just about immaturity and, and inexperience and all those things. And but but a lot of it, I was just like wasting so much energy on, you know, self-doubt and stuff that now I I don't even 
stuff like that now, it just like rolls off my back so much more easily than it used to. Which, what do you think? Is that the result of the, the world has changed a bit or just of time and your career having advanced? I think a lot of it is experience. I think a lot of it is just having done this a lot. And I think, I think it's so much easier for me to flag when, when I'm working with a man who's really insecure, which is ultimately like who these people are that try to make women's lives miserable. Um, and so I think, you know, it's not that I feel like deeply compassionate necessarily for that kind of behavior, but I do feel like I can see, I can see it for what it is. And that gives me like a level of patience and kind of detachment from it a little bit, which I think, I think diffuses a lot of it. Actually, I find that I'm not necessarily in battlement with men so much anymore, as much as I'm kind of just calming the waters a little bit and kind of keeping everybody like chilled out. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's just a skill learned, learned over a, a long period of time. So while Kate was doing this really scary thing of building a freelance career, she was also helping her husband with his work, and he was getting a lot of jobs designing museum exhibitions. So she was taking on a new kind of work while figuring out what it meant to work with her husband. I think we definitely were having a really hard time during some of that era of separating our work lives from our personal lives. And we, we started to realize that we needed to be much more purposeful about creating some boundaries around things. Um, so that when we got home, we weren't just, you know, reliving our days. Um, cause it was like, well, I was there too. I, I know <laughs> I that, that happened. Um, it was hard to sort of move on to some other subject cause we were living the lives we were living and it was so overlapped. Right, um, right. It was, it was a challenge. Um, but I think a lot of people couldn't possibly work with their spouse and I have so much respect for him. Um, I just admire him so much. And I think, you know, and I think the feeling is mutual. So I think there were, there were for sure challenges and things to solve, but I think relative to, you know, some, some couples I think are like oil and water when it comes to like trying to do a house project, for example, and we aren't that way at all. We work really well together. Yeah. So you're, so you're painting for him and starting to do museum stuff. Yes. So I kind of diversified all this stuff I was doing and, and the museum work actually started to come to the museum clients started to come to me and say, they were like, well, we really need design help. Would you, um, do some design work for us? And I said, absolutely. And so I started working for them and then um, 2008 hit and literally that economy crash wiped out all of my corporate event work. I just overnight lost every client I had in that world. And so all of a sudden I found myself in this kind of precarious position where I was trying to sort of beef up my theater work in the hopes that I could kind of string enough of that together to sort of make ends meet. And I was, you know, clinging on to these few little museum projects that were just starting. I was just starting to build that relationship. And so I kind of stayed in that mode for a couple of years. And then um, and the museum thing became, you know, kind of a steady thing. I had this relationship going with the Science Museum of Minnesota. And then I got an email from them saying, um, we're going to create a new exhibit design position and we really hope you'll apply for it. And I read that email and then immediately spewed a bunch of four letter words. <laughs> Um, cause I just thought, Oh no, like they're going to bring the work that I'm doing for them right now in house. And I'm going to lose this one sort of more lucrative, um, uh, client that I have. So at that point I thought I, I just can't at this point in my career, I can't just do theater full time. It's just, it's too much. I can't make enough money doing it. I have to string together so many projects and I'll, the burnout, the burnout will be um, instantaneous. So I kind of reluctantly kicking and screaming, took on this full-time job. And then it was so great. It was so great. Oh, cool. 
you, yeah. I mean, I was imagining what you're going to say was, and then I miss theater so much. Well, I did. I did. But getting a full-time job at a museum as an exhibit designer was like the greatest education in actually like fully coming into that industry and fully developing the appropriate skill set to actually be what it takes to be a museum exhibit designer. So it was just awesome. I mean, I was basically paid to get what felt to me like a master's degree in exhibit design. So, um, I immediately got a super interesting project. Um, it was an object heavy show. And so there was this huge learning curve for me of understanding how to design artifact cases for objects that have a lot of different environmental sensitivities. So I was working with people that specialize in conservation and material science and, you know, and then also, um, you know, anthropologists that know, you know, all this information about the objects and the stories that they tell. And, you know, I was just surrounded by, you know, scientists. It was amazing. Um, so and, yeah, for did me, you it was keep like, some, like did you keep some theater stuff going on the side or were you really taking a break from that? I took a break for about 18 months when I first started just okay. because I wanted to make sure that I didn't, um, I, I just didn't know what the transition would be like. And so I kind of, you know, said to myself, let's just take a break and, um, once I get the lay of the land, then I'll see. And it, it wound up, I mean, that was part of why it was such a great fit is that it was a full-time job that did not, um, totally tap out my creative en en uh, energy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, a year and some change. And I realized like, I, can, I think I can take on some projects outside of this. And so I started to do that on a pretty, pretty regular basis. Um, um, yeah, I stuck, I stayed with the museum for six years, which is, it's hard to believe I was there that long. It's just crazy how time flies. But, um, but yeah, it was a really, really positive experience and I learned a ton. And then I kind of reached a point where I realized that I felt like I was no longer kind of growing at that rate that I had been. I was really kind of a little, I was in a more stagnant mode and I was just ready for, I was ready for a challenge. Amen. That's always the time to move on. What Kate moved on to was perfect in a lot of ways. It's the culmination of everything she'd built as a freelancer and a full-time museum staffer and everything else she'd done. She got a job as creative director at a company that designs exhibitions and sets all over the country and that still leaves her time to keep up her own theater projects on the side. Sometimes I'm traveling and my day is spent traveling. Sometimes my day is spent presenting um, a, you know, a big benchmark of a project to a client. And, you know, sometimes my day st is uh, the first day of rehearsal of a play, which is like one of the most wonderful nuts and bolts type thing. If I'm going into like meeting a cast for the first time and showing them a design that I have been thinking about, um, kind of behind the scenes for months and months, it feels like this sort of lovely little gift that I get to share with them. It's so motivating and fulfilling and it, you know it just it's a huge driver for me and so I tend to sort of overcommit and get really um uh yeah just just doing too many things and then I'm finding that I'm you know cutting out a lot of things that are that are also important but I sort of put a lot of things on the back burner sometimes in favor of of work but um but yeah I feel super lucky I mean to me like a hard day is just a day where I feel you know, really distracted because I can't put together an hour long, you know, kind of working session where I can just daydream and think like I definitely realized early in my career that daydreaming is actually like something I have to schedule. It's a huge part of my process. And it's, it's a slog. Like I think people think, 
you know, oh, you're so talented. You just come up with these things. And it's like, oh man, like you have no idea. I mean, there's so much doubt in my process even now. Um, I mean, yes and no, I, I doubt, but then, you know, I, I do sort of feel like, okay, I've been here before. I know that this will end. It feels terrible at the moment, but I know I'll kind of get to the other side of this. But I think what's hard about creative work and why it is so rewarding is that there's all this risk involved and, you know, you do feel like you're kind of putting your ego out there and saying like, you know, this, this is going to be my work and people will look at this and know that it's sort of the thing that I contributed to this and it's scary. Um, One of the things that excites me about Kate's story is that through all the different jobs she's done and all the years of seven-day work weeks, she's built herself up into this place where she's become an expert and a thought leader in her field. And she thinks of that field basically as storytelling. And so she's starting to be called on to give talks and share broadly about the way she, as an expert, thinks storytelling is changing. I think now what's happening is people are looking for sort of experiential exploration on their own terms. Like they want to just say like, you know, people joke around, joke about like going down the Wikipedia rabbit hole or something where they just follow the trail of something until they're miles and miles away from where they began. And just the idea that you're kind of, you have this agency to sort of create your own experience in this vast world where there's all these possibilities and you can chase down whatever piques your interest And so I think that is what is starting to like Mm. creep into things like the museum world and the theater world is the idea that when people come, people want agency to, to affect what happens and, and to be a part of the live event where like, it won't be the same on any other night because they themselves weren't there and they made part of what happened that night. I'm so intrigued by all the technology that is trending right now, like, um, virtual reality and augmented reality. And what I think of in some ways, my role in all of that is, yes, I want to know what all these technologies are because I'm a theater artist and I can, I can use those technologies for good. Cool. cool. Yeah. Um, you know? And so I think like keeping all that like human forward, right. You know, like keeping the humanity and all of these things. And I think there are so many objects in museums that people walk by and there isn't any humanity about right, that object. Right. Cause there's no, humans, there's no human story that's overt in the, in the description or the presentation of that object. No one thinks about who made that, who made that or who, who used that. So it's that kind of thing where I feel like there's this sort of thing that could come into these different environments that could actually be like both aha moments and actually like really beautiful human stories about things that we maybe haven't taken a second look at that we, that we might see as more, more powerful um, or more elevated somehow. I think as a creative person, the idea that um, embracing failure all the time, like small failures every day, is actually a way to think about being successful. Um, Because I I do think that the work that I'm the most proud of is the work that's the most scary and the work where I, I stand to fail the most. And so I think going after that work and being willing to sort of be uncomfortable and have a lot of um, little failures along the way towards something that feels like my, my greatest work yet, um, is, is absolutely like, I want to, I want to live in that kind of, um, in that kind of mode 
as much as I can. For me also, when I think about like the long term, when I look further out into the future, I think one of the things that feels really, um, really joyful to me, like some, something I feel super excited about in the future is to still be working with people I love working with. This idea that you could kind of grow up with people and you could be artists together um, and kind of evolve as individuals and, and be there for each other in these collaborations is, um, that makes me feel so excited. Okay, now that you've heard about Kate's work, you have to go check it out. PBS did this awesome short documentary about Kate, and you get to peek into her world and into the worlds she creates. I'm linking it on my Instagram. That's at Ariel Hudes. If you like hearing stories of diverse female role models, tell a friend to check out Clubhouse. Thank you so much to Jess Sambry for our tunes and Karis Reed for the artwork in our logo. Back soon. Beauty.